So, hi guys, we did a thing, our first live recording. Uh, Sankar, do you want to start us off? Yeah, we uh, we were lucky enough to be invited to Art Science Museum for the Waves of Change Festival, organized by Coastal Natives and uh, Art Wave Studio. And we spent half an hour nervously waiting for Chiyun to show up because she was late. <laughs> I made it on time. To be fair, I came in just as our intros ended. Okay, my bike, I mean two wheels on my bike punctured on my way here. So I had no way to get here except to push my bike all the way to Art Science Museum. How convenient. I know. The things things we do, right? And to be fair, the whole conversation was super nice. What, What happened was we started off the whole workshop um, sharing our own experience first. Hi everybody, thank you so much for joining us. She's joining us a bit late because she cycled all the way from home to here. So And her, and her wheels burst, right? Your yeah, bike wheels. Yeah, tires yep. burst. But thank you so much for joining us this uh, Sunday afternoon. Today's program is on talking about climate anxiety and um, speaking about our own experiences and I guess how to deal with it. Um, I'm going to start off this whole thing with a very like academic thing to do, which is a definition. <laughs> so on, on the internet, you see um, climate anxiety or eco-anxiety to be defined as a chronic fear of environmental doom. I think regardless of what the words mean, I think we all generally have an idea of what eco or climate anxiety feels like or or what kind of you know physical or emotional experience that can be. Um, I think to start off this program, I think we will just really share about our own journeys or with this. Um, I, I think well, maybe Sanka you can share first because I think Sanka, has, Sanka and Chin have quite a, a intense journey I would say with uh, climate anxiety so sure yeah um, for me and, and thanks Rachel yeah it, for me it comes from a place of like fear that we're going somewhere that we can't really come back from um, I remember when it was uh, what year was it 2019 actually when I when my climate anxiety got particularly bad uh, and this was after um, there were these crazy fires going on in the Brazilian Amazon it started originally when when you know um, the president of Brazil Jair Bolsonaro he actually got uh, elected to like um, like you know Brazilian government and and I, I remember feeling this impending sense that you know there's nothing that I can actually do about the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. And for me as a biodiversity lover, that's really painful to see because one of my biggest dreams in in life is to go see the amazing wildlife and biodiversity that there is in the Amazon rainforest. And to think about that just constantly being burned down like a football field a day or whatever the statistic is, to think about that being burnt away um, really gave me a lot of anxiety. Uh, and the fact that I can't do anything about it uh, got scarier and scarier every day. To the point that, uh, I mean, I was lucky, of course, the place that I was working at at the time, uh, they actually offered um, like a- an opportunity to go for therapy if I needed to, right? So I actually went to a therapist, I went to a counselor, and I said, uh, I shared about this experience, this this feeling that, you know, something's happening so far away from me and, and it's it's awful. And it's going to impact me. It's going to impact the people around me. And there's nothing I can do about it. And uh, I, I think I think one of the common threads that we identified while we were discussing this is that a lot of a lot of people say that this climate anxiety is normal, which was quite an interesting response. I think. Yeah. When I was doing my 
when I was doing like research for just understanding what are the current thoughts and discussions around this topic, every article that I saw was just about like how, oh, if you're feeling like climate anxiety, it's okay, it's normal, it's okay, it's normal. But when we were talking about it, we were like, I mean, of course it's normal, right? You're hearing something bad's going to happen to you. How are you not going to be anxious about that? But the funny thing is, it's feeling like you're planet is about to end normal you know so it's it's weird because it's not normal but yet when you get the rest the news itself is not normal but the response itself yeah yeah i guess i get you can call that normal it's a very like normal reaction to a very abnormal situation yeah yeah i think for me that manifested when this was 2018 um, at that period, I think haze was very, very common. It happened usually around July, August. Yeah, there are seasons where that happened. And I was living in my university dorm. And at, I think in my university, there were a lot of instances where they said, okay, in the afternoons, try to stay in your halls or in the lounges where there's air condition. And they provided us with, I guess, what's that, what's that thing called? Air purifiers or dehumidifiers so that for a period of time, okay, that worked for the most of my mornings and the afternoons. But because I was in a non-air-conditioned dorm room, because air conditioning was very expensive, I remember sleeping with a mask on for two days in a row and thinking like, this cannot be real. This cannot be happening every year. And as someone with very sensitive like respiratory systems, I was very nervous for myself because what does this mean for my health? And what does this mean for so many people who may not be able to afford air conditioning? but are also suffering from respiratory illnesses Mm. and that hit really the peak of my anxiety because it almost feels like oh my gosh is this my life for the next 50 years and if it is how can we live like that like that's just not possible yeah and very similar I went to see a therapist in school because I felt like I don't really know how to deal with this and I remember going to the therapist saying I feel very stressed about where the world is heading and okay, bless her heart, she came back to say, yeah, you know, I'm recycling also, and I feel like this, nothing works. And I was just like, oh my gosh, if she's also feeling like that, and I'm feeling like that, there's nothing we can do. And I had to be like, okay, you know, don't worry, your recycling still works. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you basically won therapy by yeah, giving yeah. your therapist climate anxiety. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, and that was the point that I'm like, okay, are we not equipped to deal with the responses to the climate anxiety, and what does this mean? So, yeah, I think that's why we're here today. (laughs) Movin, do you want to share for your end also? Like, how... Mm, Okay, so for me personally, I think it came to a head when I realized we had, I think, I can't remember the exact year, but very recently, lost a species to climate change, right? So, like, recently, because I'm a biodiversity person, it's it's what speaks to me, Um, there's a small island near the Great Barrier Reef, and there is a mouse that only lives on that island called the Bramble Cay Melomis. And this tiny mouse that is so unimportant, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, was the first species that we've lost conclusively to climate change because of both sea level rise um, on that tiny island, so there's less land on the island, and because of the increased prevalence of hurricanes that sort of just devastate the remaining like vegetation on the island. When scientists went back to look for it, it just wasn't there anymore. And this knowledge that like things are disappearing, things are really happening because of climate change, um, is scary. It makes me feel anxious that this is just the tip of the, the very, 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 very big iceberg that's mostly still underwater right now. Yeah. I think Movin talking about biodiversity goes quite 
nicely into my own experience. Um, we have here Amazon Fires, which is Sanka's experience. And for me, it was the Racing Extinction um, documentary that came out about 2015. I think the campaign bleed into 2016 and something like that. But the, it was a very great documentary and they, they have a very strong campaign. And there were part, one part of the campaign was where they were, I don't know if you remember this, they were projecting like pictures of animals on buildings like all around the world. And there was a lot of social media coverage, which, uh, which I was very happy about. But it made me very anxious about um, time. I wouldn't say I have eco-anxiety or climate anxiety very outwardly, but maybe a shade of it, um, where I felt that there was, because there was a time limit, every single step that I take, every single thing I have to do have to have some kind of impact. And that really pulled me down quite a lot, I must say. Um, and it, and it, made, it paralyzed me, honestly. I, one part of it was also, I'd come to learn about animals and everything through documentaries. And Whenever I, when, after you know this kind of feelings, whenever I go back to documentaries to try and learn about more things, I get very scared when I don't know about things, which is so dumb, right? Because you're supposed to celebrate when you're learning, but when I'm learning, I'm scared because then I'm like, how much more time do I need to learn before I can get to a stage where okay, I can like finally like be action, 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 you know? But it's 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 just a the kind of like question that weighs on me and I think we put this too because for me it went into like the paralysis route where I don't know what to do but for Sanka I know for you it went into like the overactivity route you wanna yeah, yeah. so for me I, yeah. I experienced like this in the form of guilt where I would feel bad about like turning the aircon on you know like on a really hot day I'd feel bad that oh my god I, I'm already so privileged to have an aircon in my house how can I justify turning it on when this kind of an adaptation to climate change in a way, as it gets hotter, this is like an adaptation, is actively making it worse, right? Uh, and so coming to terms with that is really hard because you're both wrestling with the fact that your individual action has some impact, uh, arguably a very small impact, but it is there. But at the same time, there's, you also do have to live your life. You know, there is a certain amount of uh, responsibility that you have, but also you are not responsible for the fate of the entire world. And I think that was very hard for me to come to terms with. Uh, yeah. I think what's interesting is that there's this tension where you know that as an individual, your ability to enact change is limited, right? Um, but at the same time, that's also paralyzing because then what do you do, right? If you can't do anything, then how? I, I actually read that article uh, that, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's quite a big article uh, and it, I, I think it's on The Guardian, but don't quote me on that. Uh, it's like, you know, 70% of the world's emissions are contributed by 100 major corporations, major companies. So in, like in the face of that, I, I think that to me felt, uh, it made me very angry, but also it felt freeing, right? In a sense, because... Uh, in the face of that, how can I then place the responsibility for mitigating climate change on myself, right? Yes, as an individual, there's some action that we can take to promote systemic change, but uh, you yourself turning on the aircon, that's not the thing that's burning the <laughs> Amazon rainforest or something like that, you know? After that, we moved on into a Q&A session, kind of like a sharing session with the audience. And interestingly, we also have a climate denier who showed up. Ooh. Yeah, shit got wild. 
Um, feel free to introduce yourself uh, if you want to share like what you do and all that kind of stuff up to you. Okay, yeah. uh, my name is Henry. Uh, I don't mind my voice being recorded. Uh, I think uh, we shouldn't have climate anxiety uh, because we are not heading to a climate crisis. Okay, so uh, climate anxiety is only the symptom. The root cause of climate anxiety is that you have accepted environmentalism. And somewhere in your deep down buried in your subconscious, environmentalism is telling you to dislike humanity, to hate humanity, to hate yourself. And because of you accepting uh, environmentalism, it obstructs you from looking at uh, positive news about humanity and positive news about the environment. Positive news about humanity like uh, over the last 120 years, there has been a 97 reduction in climate-related death. Positive news about the environment because I, I see you all are concerned about rising sea levels. So there are actually uh, Pacific Island nations and uh, island nations in the Indian Ocean. Over the last 50 years, they have increased in size, naturally and man-made. The, the land area has increased. So, and, and you talk about forest burning. So, forest burning is actually on a downtrend if you expand your time frame wide enough. So, my point is, sure, my point is environmentalism is obstructing you from looking at the positive things in life. Uh, thank you for that, Henry. Um, and I think, I think what you're saying, uh, it comes from a perspective that climate change isn't really happening uh, or that the climate crisis is not real. Uh, I, I think the truth, or, or rather the, the scientific consensus at the moment is that uh, this is really very much a reality because if you look at the IPCC, we need to hit certain objectives as a species in order to survive in the long term. And I think this is, uh, I think, well established in the scientific literature as well. Uh, and on top of that, uh, a lot of the things that you are saying, uh, you know, like the downtrend in, 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 in forest fires, for example, this is a result of human uh, collaboration to stop these things. And it's because we are aware of them in the first place that we resolve to change the way that we do things. Like last year, we signed the, was it last year? Glasgow Declaration. Yeah, Glasgow Declaration on uh, land use, right? That's pledging to stop deforestation by 2030. Uh, these declarations, of course, are one step in that process uh, to stopping these larger scale things. But unless we recognize that it's a problem in the first place, those symptoms, as you say, will, I mean, they're not going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to add the point in that um, from, you know, I wanted to, uh, to jump off what Sankar said in that scientifically, the climate, the climate crisis is real. But I do agree that at some points, perhaps the positive news could be, you know, you, it's something that we might not miss. And I would, I would say that the contributing factor is perhaps sensationalization in the media. And sensationalization not meaning that you know, we are over, we're overblowing certain facts. It's the very fact that there are very bad things happening all around the world. But at the very same time, there are also good things like reduced climate-related deaths. I don't think that's a reason um, to say that the climate crisis is not happening, but the fact is that actions have been taken to reduce deaths from maybe certain vector-borne diseases, from reduced amount of air pollution or haze, and all sorts of other advancements that we have made as a society. And I think a part of our conversation on climate anxiety, it's recognizing that both positives and negatives exist. But the fundamental thing is that the climate has changed. 
um, whether we like it or not. And we have to learn to deal with the fact that perhaps certain animals we might never see in our lifetime, but we could see advancements in vegan leather or biomaterials that look very different from the, what the world was like 20 to 30 years ago. So I thank you for that response. Um, but at the same time, I think that brings in very nicely into the fact that, I mean, I wanted to jump off the previous point where documentaries on one hand, if those who subscribe to Netflix, uh, Animal Planet, if it still exists, yeah, or BBC Earth, I think there has been a mix of very cool documentaries that talk about like, oh my gosh, the, the sea is wonderful, the ocean is wonderful, we have all these cool bugs and fishes and like birds. But at the same time, you also have documentaries by David Attenborough, which is like, okay, everything is going to shit, like, this is really bad. Um, and it's been very hard to, to sit through both, and I feel that to every, I mean, to me at least, it makes me very conflicted as to, like, am I supposed to be hopeful, or am I supposed to be in awe, or am I supposed to feel really bad about what's happening in the world? So I, I don't know whether anyone else feels the same way. And I know that there are divers in the room also. I would love to hear from a diverse perspective on seeing what's under the ocean. And yeah, how does that make you feel as someone who cares or is interested about the ocean? In the interest of time, I think we'll jump straight to the next question. Um, so I think there's, uh, we have, can we have a mic in front here as well? Yeah. I've never actually met a climate denier before. Wow, it's like seeing a rare species. Right? Yeah, but also very... Yeah, I, I did not like it. I was like... This is... I mean, it was effectively a mental health event, right? Yes. Eco-anxiety is something that is very important to discuss. And it's very stressful. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and also like he was just like, uh, I'm sorry, but I can solve your anxiety with my facts. I'm like, what are you going to say? Like, if you go to a mental health space and you're like, I can solve your depression with my studies. If you're happy, you are less depressed, did you know? So just be happy. <laughs> like, oh my God, like, it's so yeah. insensitive, terrible. Of all the places to show up. To yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah, fine. Say that. Say all you want. But why choose here when our whole topic was just about how to manage, how to manage, you know, like feelings yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, We're trying that, to create this vulnerable, that, honest space and then yeah. you just come in and barge in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With your dump truck. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it also reflects that perhaps there are people who might think a certain way about yeah. climate change. Yeah. Or they might see contradicting facts and be like, no, I don't know what to think about climate change. To that point, there's credit in that. Okay, you know, you might be seeing improvements in climate-related deaths. Um, I guess, so, like, I don't know, ecosystem being like restored and nature things is like healing yeah nature mm. is healing but it doesn't mean things are Does, not yeah. bad it doesn't mean yeah. that we're not we're still not going the same direction that we've been going the entire time just because just because there's like a few deaths and people are not dying doesn't mean we are in the right, going on the to right live, track yeah we're going to live a good stable climate yeah kind of life. doesn't mean it does it's just one small part of the story which yeah but thankfully should I say thankfully? But we also managed to talk about other things and we had uh, uh, members of the audience share about their own experiences with climate anxiety and, and we shared how we, I guess, find our own ways to, to manage that. Hi, uh, thank you so much, esteemed panellists. Uh, maybe I'll start with a contribution. Um, I remember Dr. Edward De Bono says uh, about the 70% cooperation thing. It was brainstormed among a whole plenary group 
and they divide them among, uh, uh, like, you know, number one, number two, and then it's multinational, and they brainstorm so many effective strategies. One of them was that the emissions that come out of a corporation, they will put it downhill, which means any, anything that, that it emits, you go down the stream and it, the corporation has to eat those ways itself. So after that, they became a little bit more guilty conscience they, because they know that the legislature has made them actually eat their own <laughs> emissions. So then after that, it started to get better. That was in the 80s and 90s. And uh, the source of this, of the way that they come up with solutions was uh, somebody from Europe, that, uh, an elderly from, uh, called David, that I, I uh, purchased something from Carousel in Singapore. So he told me about how the Bono actually brainstormed these strategies, and I was like very enlightened. So I, I really thank you for actually bringing up all this uh, quick uh, hedgehog thinking, uh, jumping here and there that allows me to uh, uh, go home and think about food for thought. And I really like the fact that you're sharing the feelings uh, about these things and the positive and negative that allows me to see there's a cut and thrust and I really like this kind of uh, to and fro. Uh, my question would be for uh, the PhD in the bird, bird, oh, okay. <laughs> bird sure. thing. Yeah. I would really like to hear elaboration on why you feel alarmed about the biodiversity and uh, in, in case you want to also uh, talk about the corporations and I might also like to add something about the, the fact that sometimes the water could be a problem because in New York City, I remember 10 years ago, I mean, they have great things like the green lung. You know, they plant so many trees, amazing thing. And then in Singapore, they have the vertical farming and all that kind of stuff. And uh, growing plants around the arts museum so that the whole, whole facade becomes greener. Amazing things. Uh, so I don't know, I'm trying to brainstorm around your area. You can see what I'm trying to say. So uh, thank you so much for listening. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so I'm going to try and break down the questions first before I start addressing them bit by bit. So I think on one hand, um, I definitely agree with you in the sense that like, in terms of biodiversity in particular, I think the idea of like bridging urban spaces, which are typically very bleak and very concrete rich with these softer green aspects, they tend to really be very helpful in terms of like helping local biodiversity, right? Like, I mean, so many of us have seen like colorful birds in our HDBs. And in part, this is really because of Singapore's push to soften the concrete and really bring a lot of the green aspects into, you know, like where the heartlands of where people live. And that's definitely very commendable. Of course, this helps um, a handful of species, but not all the species. Some species need like really good forests um, to survive. Um, the other thing that you brought up, I think is also, um, the water aspect, right? Which is that, um, how do we deal with sort of like biodiversity related like issues when it comes to water, right? So first of all, like pollution is a problem. Um, introducing species that were never there in the first place into your waterways is, is, a, is a problem as well. Um, they aren't necessarily related to like, so for instance, like hormones in the water or like these biochemicals in the water don't necessarily relate to climate change per se, but they do, sort of lead to like an ecological crisis, so to speak, in the sense that like they could lead to like, you know, extinction events. And the reason that we're so preoccupied with preserving ecosystems and biodiversity is because we simply don't have a full understanding of that. Losing any piece of that puzzle could lead to catastrophe. And so the best way to avert that is really to just keep the puzzle or keep the picture as it is. I think um, you know, having laws, legislation um, to prevent or reduce like things like people just throwing stuff willy-nilly anywhere uh, is definitely something that, that is good. Singapore has generally been good about that, actually. We've come a long way. We used to have pig farm affluent going into like some of the major rivers back in the 70s and 80s. Now we've banned pig farms. We don't have 
um, now, now most of our water is actually like fairly good quality, right? Stuff in terms of like being like safe for human beings or other biodiversity to be around. Um, other countries in the region, up and coming, developing laws and stuff like that. But enforcement in bigger spaces is always a, a bigger problem. La, and that's definitely the next challenge that we have to address. Yep. Thank you. Any more questions or anybody who'd like to share in front here? Um, yeah. Hi, I'm John. Uh, I'm going to go back to that direct question up there, which is how you engage with climate anxiety. For me, I would say that I've been climate anxious for a long time, probably to the degree of like being brain poisoned by, by social media. So in Singapore, not many people were aware of it you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I don't think anyone really even understood it you know, until within the past five years or so. So what I want to know now is like what works for you know, each and every one of us, like what gets you out of bed, what gets you, you know, engaged on an interpersonal level, on a social level, like these nitty gritty details, I think are, are more important because I've, I relate to all your stories, right? Tiyun, Sanka, you know, and after having gone through that whole gamut of like, oh, you know, like, can't change the world by yourself, but then you can change like what little bit you can change, you can recycle what plastics you can change. Like finding that balance is still hard. Like intellectually, you know that, but then like internalizing it, still a work in progress. I'm sure it's a work in progress for, for many of us. Lah. So just, just wondering how you know, here, people here, the rest of the other Singaporeans who are young and aware, manage it. Yep. Thank you for that, John. Uh, and I think a lot of people would share those feelings of anxiety, uh, certainly. And f I mean, yeah, internalizing that idea that, you know, it's like the starfish story, right? You cannot throw every single starfish that's drying on the beach out into the sea. But for the starfish that you do help, it actually makes a difference. Uh, and, and seeing that is really hard in the, in the, in the perspective from the from the, the cl climate context right because it's so big it's so it takes so long and i think one thing that has really helped me is to educate right because uh, a lot of people and i think for us that actually was what drove us to start this podcast as well because like when you have something as big as like a, a declaration right what does cop 27 mean for the average person Right, like when a bunch of world leaders fly to some country, make some decisions about how climate change will be handled in the next ten years, how is that? How does that have any of our input per se? How does that affect us? That's not really clear, and so communicating that has been uh, quite rewarding. But I think at, at the same time, for me, getting to understand that has also been really rewarding. Uh, educating myself about how these uh, larger declarations and larger uh, movements can change uh, because like we say one single person will not be able to change the entire flow of the tide but if we understand how these larger movements are able to make that change then uh, that does actually help to quell that climate anxiety a little bit at least for me uh, but what about the others i think for me you know i yeah thanks so much for sharing that john and I feel like I don't think there is 
a solution per se that you know I'm going to do something and I won't feel scared or anxious about the state of the world for like forever. I feel like it's it comes in apps like it really has its ups and downs where there are periods where I know you know maybe it will be in November where there's a lot of climate news that I know that's a period where I need to tune out because this is not going to be something that sustains me for a long time if anything it's going to make me feel worse but there are also seasons where um, you know I have friends like um, just if you know just keep thinking she does a lot of intertidal walks um, I sometimes would just join her or go do a beach cleanup with friends not because I, I feel like okay this thing that I'm gonna go for is going to change the world or stop whatever is doing but it feels very good to be in the presence of like-minded people who feel the same way and say like, yeah, this is really bad, but let's go makan after this and let's just have a good time because we're doing work that nourishes our soul and it's not meant to drain us in, in any sense of the word. But I know that is difficult and I feel like at different seasons, I also think maybe watching a documentary helps. And if it doesn't, fine, I'm just going to watch something as brainless as Bling Empire that just came out on, on Thursday because I know that my entire life doesn't have to be about the climate crisis. It might feel like it, but I've been trying to dabble in other hobbies to get myself out of that world for a while just so that I know I'm going to feel more energized when I re-engage with something like that. So trying to not let it consume me has been a very big work in progress but I thought that it has been very vital in making sure that when I do do something it comes from a place of okay I feel ready to engage with environmentalism again or the news again just by turning off yeah I think I want to add on a bit um, so I did share that for me I think my response has been a bit more like I don't know what to do anything and I end up not doing much because um, I don't know what to do um, and I think that has brought a lot of shame. I'm being very, 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 very honest here. A lot of shame for me, and that process hasn't been good. And I think when I was trying to like build myself back up and trying to be a bit more, I mean, because I, I don't know, maybe it's a Singaporean thing that you think the best way to cope with this kind of feelings is to do do something, and that was the feeling that I led with. Um, but even when I did that, it, I found myself with a lot of challenges, not knowing where to start, or even when I start, not knowing whether. You know, you just question yourself every step of the way. Would this even have impact? Will anybody care? Does this even is this the best use of my effort, or am I better like working for a company that actually has a put solution? You know, and helping that way. I don't know, but I took some time, as she has mentioned, away from. Um, I wouldn't say sustainability. I think that has always been around me, um, but I took some time in like in my personal time, like not using every bit of my personal time to learn about something, to um, speak to people, to join communities and all that kind of stuff. And I tried to understand, because I, I, I tried to, I think a lot deeply, I think deeply about identity and who you want to, who, what you want to write your identity as. And for the longest time, it was environmentalist or um, biodiversity person. I don't know what words I used last time, but, I, and I forgot about that. I, I, I don't know whether you relate to that. And it took me a while to realize that 
there are other things I care about and I, I, I spend time doing like different hobbies. I went to, to dance that has nothing to do with like environmentalism and nothing to do with like all this. I started caring more about art and, and I don't care about, you know, and, and, it, and it was so frustrating because every time I learn about something new, I go like, oh, can I like design something that has something to do with the environment? But that is like so stressful because sometimes I just want to learn the craft for the craft itself. And I think uh, giving myself that space to do that and forgiving myself um, for doing things that may not help the environment but helps me to be a more balanced person so I can do more next time. I think that has been a huge step for me. But that's, but then nonetheless, I'm still in the process of like accepting that kind of process and that kind of space because I think it's still, it's still very anxious. I don't know if you can hear it from my voice, but it, it still gives me a lot of um, uh, worries or whatever word you want to use. Um, but accepting that and like taking taking time to learn that habit of acceptance, I think, helped me a lot. And, and that I have other identities too. For the longest time, I thought that I, if I died on my bed and, and felt that I didn't do anything for the environment, I would be very, very, very sad. But now I think like, I, I, my thoughts have changed about that. And I think having that kind of like fear at your deathbed is quite, it's too much for me. I don't know if it's too much for you, but it was too much for me. And it helps when I segregate my, my identities. And then I can know at which points Am I an uh, observer of the space? And at which point am I trying to be a bit more than just that? Yeah, I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, I think for me, I've drawn a lot of parallels between eco-anxiety and grief. I think in a sense we're grieving, or at least I'm grieving the planet somewhat. And I think the feelings ebb and flow, they come when you least expect it. And it can be very overwhelming at times. And I think like what is important or what's been helpful for me in general is really making space for myself to feel the feelings and sit with the feelings, even though maybe not for too long. Um, and sometimes there really is sort of like a motivation to fight feeling a certain way but I think sometimes sitting with the feelings, feeling them and letting them pass, because at least for me, it comes in ebbs and waves, right? So like feeling it out, letting it pass through has been helpful. And I think the other thing that has been helpful is knowing when to, what I find rejuvenating and when to take a break and being like disciplined enough to take breaks because it can be very tempting to just be like, you know what, I, th I still feel okay, so I'm just gonna power through or whatnot. I think being disciplined about your breaks is being disciplined about my bricks has been very helpful. And like, for instance, I know that by sitting in a forest or going out into the wild, I feel much better that these spaces still exist, right, in a sense. And that helps take the edge off or makes me feel like pretty good. So knowing what your good places are, what, what creates or what sparks these good feelings for you, and sort of being like a bit more militant about taking breaks for yourself, I think has been quite helpful. I must say, Movin's like one of the most balanced person, but the people I know. Like he knows exactly what works and doesn't work for him. And like, even when like I don't know the worst things happen, he's just so like I know what to do. And and I and like I think I think it's the discipline that helped him at the end of the day. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if we have time for another question. I think not so much, right? But if you oh um, maybe maybe after the session you can come out and speak to us. I just wanted to say that I felt like very privileged to be in a space where people so felt so comfortable to be vulnerable around us yes, also and yeah. be so honest. I thought it was really nice to hear. Yeah. I was I was really 
surprised by how many people showed up because I think yeah. when it comes to climate anxiety, it's very easy to feel alone. Yes. Uh, and then it was nice that there were like, I think maybe about 50 people who showed up. Am I am I overestimating 50? Around there. Yeah. Ballpark. Yeah, ballpark 50. And I, I, I don't know, it just felt that in that moment, for me at least, I felt, wow, I'm not alone in feeling scared about all this. Yeah. 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 I think it's also a very personal journey and uh, and I think the people who spoke to us after and be- and during the event as well were you know it, you don't you don't simplify like like mental health issues as oh this is a typical um uh this type of trauma this type of like um out- outcome or result and I think for climate anxiety is also the same what we feel scared of are quite different and all and I think that some of the experiences like the guy who asked about the New York stuff and that was new for me I I haven't heard a, a experience of Eco anxiety in in that sense when it comes to like your health, with with health and like water issues I guess yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. so I, I think you know in it, to me it felt like the whole experience was one that allowed us to vocalize a lot of what people are already mm. feeling or mm. at least for us it's what we're feeling mm. how we make sense of it all and how we will continue to make sense of it all yeah and. You know, if you're if you're re- listening to the rest of the the podcast uh, and this episode on climate anxiety, I think what I hope people take out of it is that there's just no one way to deal with climate anxiety. There's no five ways to solve your climate anxiety, and in any case, it also sounds like something that we're going to be dealing with with the rest of our lives. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is unfortunate. It's yeah. not normal yet, still normal. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. Yeah. Also. yeah, because it's it, like we 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 shared during the the workshop itself, right? That a lot of uh, articles out there will say that yes, your um, climate anxiety, your eco anxiety, your ecological grief is normal, but at the same time, it's not very normal in, in that sense. And so, it's okay to don't understand, you know, what what this experience is. It's okay to not have the exact answers and, and treat it like any other like mental health. Um, uh, you know, a- aspect of your life. You know, it's it's okay to not have the answers, and it is weird. Yeah. Even p- ex- experts don't know how to deal with it yet, as we have seen. You know. So. Yeah. How else can we? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it was very exciting doing our yeah. live podcast for the first time, mm-hmm. and really big, huge shout out to um, Eddie and Kathleen from Coastal Natives for. You know, even thinking of us when coming up with this topic and Zai and Simin for being at the back handling all our AV equipment and getting everything set up to make sure that we could record it live. And yeah, so thanks so much for, for joining us on this journey. I think recording this season has been very exciting yeah. Yeah. and we look forward to more seasons to come. Yes. Yeah. Six seasons and a movie. <laughs> <laughs>